0: Boarding episode 543 back again for the second time dr peter mccullough please introduce yourself sir
1: tommy thanks for having me on the show i'm dr peter mccullough i'm an internist and cardiologist i practice both specialties i maintain my boards in both specialties see patients every week here in dallas texas i'm in academic practice i'm also the editor-in-chief of two major journals I'm reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine and Cardio-Renal Medicine. I'm the Senior Associate Editor, one of the longest standing journals in cardiology, the American Journal of Cardiology, the President of the Cardio-Renal Society. And I recently was honored uh, with being named the Chief Medical Advisor for the Truth for Health Foundation. And Tommy, I've been very involved with COVID-19 from the very beginning, about 18 months now solid. I think I've really completed a, a fellowship in COVID-19. Um, I have over 650 publications overall in the National Library of Medicine, and that's tops for most doctors uh, in the world. But um, I have over 45 now in COVID-19, including the two seminal papers on how to treat COVID-19 early to prevent hospitalization and death.
0: Yes, sir. And as I say with everyone, just... Just before this, I did an episode with a uh, former undercover ATF agent, and uh, we talked about guns, and what I found with this podcast, as I said in our first interview, is as it gets bit bigger and I have more access to people, I find that instead of speculating wildly on topics, which I love to do, I can get professionals in them. So whether it's former ATF or the most published cardiologist in world history, I can have you want to talk about these things. So from the get-go, we're going to be banned from YouTube, so it doesn't matter What are your thoughts on the recent, for future listeners, today is Wednesday, August 25th, 2021, 6 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. What are your thoughts on the recent uh, FDA, uh, the first approval of the first COVID vaccine?
1: Well, the big news, Tommy, is it's not an approval. So this is one of the biggest uh, fraudulent talking points that's been generated out of the u.s fda and the media i know i can tell you're stunned i didn't well, know. listen yeah there were two letters generated from the fda and of course this is all public information uh the first letter went to pfizer not approved the letter is in a continuation of the emergency use authorization that's what it is that's all it is <clears throat> for uh, individuals over age 16. now a letter went to the german company beyond tech beyond tech Uh, And that was a conditional approval. So they they actually coordinated on the the product. I guess BioNTech must have some intellectual property on it. Uh, But BioNTech got a conditional approval, but they have to do four studies on myocarditis or heart inflammation and tell the FDA and tell Americans and people in the world, why is Pfizer's vaccine causing heart inflammation in individuals. And the due date on those studies is, can be as late as 2027. So um, there is a proposed package uh, label, and then there has to be some correspondence in a week or two. Uh, Beyond Tech does not even have a website created for the product. The product is going to be called uh, There's not even a website created for it. There's no sales force. Uh, there's no commercial operations for it. Uh, so we're not going to have an FDA-approved vaccine to be utilized by Americans for quite some time. I mean, even if they uh, uh, started the post-marketing studies and got a sales force and a a, a commercial operations, what have you, BioNTech is going to be, I can tell you, I'm in this business. You know, I chair day safety monitoring boards. I present them for the FDA. I I scrutinize these letters. I know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, they are years away from having prime time on a vaccine from BioNTech And so the talking point that went out, and even our president was on the TV uh, that night or the night after saying Pfizer's fully approved, and here we're looking at the Pfizer letter and it's nowhere close to being fully approved. So it was a false talking point, I think, generated, and that triggered a whole bunch of companies and other people to say, okay, now we're going to mandate the vaccine because it's fully approved. (laughs) But full stop, it's not.
0: So it's like... It's like going into a meeting with a briefcase and you're ready to pitch your new car to Tesla and then they tell you that you're at a Toys R Us board meeting. I just came in here. Mindset. I was talking about FDA approval. We're going to come into this. Dr. McCullough's is going to... And that just got... The table was just completely flipped. So I'm here with my pants down now. What... So before we, before we start recording, you said we've got a lot of updates. What to you are the most pressing updates? Again, you're the expert in this field. So I'm trying more to give you free reign? What do you believe are the most pressing issues, the most important issues, or what you deem most valuable and and discussion-worthy?
1: Well, there's a lot of updates. Let's just stay on the vaccines. Uh, We have a lot of data now showing the vaccines are failing and failing wholesale, and particularly Pfizer. So we can pick on Pfizer a little bit. Now, keep in mind that Pfizer and Moderna are messenger RNA vaccines in lipid nanoparticles. So they are substantially similar. They're not identical, but they're substantially similar. However, Pfizer, the dose of Pfizer is 30 micrograms of messenger RNA per shot. Moderna is 100 micrograms per shot. Okay, that's vastly different. And in a paper from Uh, Piranak and colleagues, Mayo Clinic, 23,000 people in Rochester, Minnesota. So it's it's a big study. They are calculating the vaccine efficacy or the protection of Pfizer now in the United States at 42%. And they're calculating Moderna at 72%. So a a very big difference. If we go across the world to Israel right now, it's wide open. They have people over age 20 in in, uh, July data presented in August, they have, I believe it's 83% of those with COVID-19 are fully vaccinated. The majority of patients in the hospital in Israel fully vaccinated with Pfizer. Uh, The booster program has started in Israel, and the booster is, again, more of Pfizer. It's another 30 microgram shot without being adjusted for the Delta variant. We know from a paper by Venkata Krishnan and colleagues, clearly shown that the Delta variant has mutated to where the antibodies from Pfizer cannot hit the target. They cannot stick to the target. It's been shown by uh, Holt in Houston. Uh, It's been shown um, uh, uh, now through uh, observational, uh, really, vignettes of the Uh, wedding in Houston of of fully vaccinated people who got COVID-19. The Democratic lawmaker flight that flew to Washington, they uh, developed COVID-19 in that flight. They put uh, the vice president on the scramble to Walter Reed Center. The fully vaccinated naval ship that um, uh, where they uh, contracted COVID-19, uh, the crew members did all fully vaccinated. Uh, so we had this idea that the vaccines were failing, particularly Pfizer, I don't wanna pick on them too much. Uh, and then uh, really the floor fell out from the vaccines with a report from Oxford uh, last week published in Lancet. First author is Chow. Ho Chi Minh City uh, Division of Oxford over there, Tropical Medicine, they were having an outbreak in a hospital in Vietnam. And what they did is they locked down the entire hospital in June. And they had the workers. They literally kept the workers in quarters and they were checking who was getting sick. And they were doing, because they had a lot of tech, because Oxford's a great university, a lot of tech, they were actually checking Uh, To see if it's Delta, they were doing sequencing, but even within Delta, they knew the genetic fingerprint from person to person. So they actually knew who was transmitting to one another. And here's the findings. Um, Everybody was fully vaccinated with AstraZeneca. It was about two months after the vaccine. So it should have been prime time protection. Uh, 69 workers got Delta. uh, They passed it to each other. And the viral load in the nose and the mouth was 251 times that of the previous unvaccinated era of similar individuals, other viruses. So the real breaking story is that the vaccinated are probably carrying massive viral loads, contaminating and infecting unvaccinated, and that explains what we're seeing. In America, we have the majority of seniors and adults in their 50s and 60s vaccinated, and who's bearing the brunt of Delta? It's young people almost certainly a crisis of the vaccinated onto the unvaccinated.
0: So so it doesn't prevent you from getting covid and it doesn't stop you from spreading it. All it does is allegedly reduce your symptoms making you super asymptomatic. Is that not the very reason we shut down the entire world? Uh, Well, you're you're right on that, and our CDC
1: director agrees with you. They've come out and said, listen, it doesn't stop the spread. Uh, But we had data suggesting the vaccines didn't stop uh, really the progression of severe disease in those vaccinated. So on the CDC website, as of May 1st, we had over 10,000 bona fide breakthrough cases. That wasn't the universe of everyone, but that was actually was pushed forward from local departments of public health, at that point, that was before Delta really set up in the United States. We had nine uh, percent of those vaccine failures were hospitalized. Three percent died. Now, fast forward, July 26, CDC website. Now we've got six thousand fully vaccinated Americans hospitalized with COVID-19. Again, that's not everything, but that's you know that's what was pushed forward. And there, sadly, nineteen percent died. Now, the overall mortality for COVID-19 in the hospital is right now between 5 and 10%. So this signal that the vaccinated individuals had higher mortality, it was actually seen now in the 21st version of the UK variant report that just came out in August, August 6th, I believe. There, the mortality for those fully vaccinated with Delta in the hospital was 30% for those fully vaccinated, whereas 6% for unvaccinated. Now, it may just be that the vaccinated are older and they're more vulnerable, but it's really alarming that we're not seeing lower mortality rates for those vaccinated who are getting COVID-19 and put in the hospital.
0: On your uh, on what you've discussed before in your lectures, I'll have you know, uh, yesterday I ordered some uh, Q-Certain, vitamin D, some zinc, and uh, turmeric. So... I hope, well, I'm also my own boss so I don't have to get anything or do anything anyone wants. But is this ever going, so it seems that we're, it's, and this is going to be a, an unoriginal statement, but it seems like we're in a, a pandemic of just f- of fake news. If you can say something and then you only have to later retract it, then I'm sitting here and I'm coming in here going, okay, so it's fully FDA approved and you're looking at me going, no, it's not. And it's, so if if everything is just sort of in the air, there's kind of no objective reality. At what point is it going to become, Is it or is it ever going to, sort of break through the fog of this doesn't protect... I mean, aside from the whole VARES thing, which is just another rabbit hole, but excluding that, the 13,000 deaths in eight months, excluding that, it doesn't stop you from getting it. It doesn't stop you from spreading it. There's going to be booster after booster after booster. When's the dam going to break? I think it's already broken.
1: You know, we've been waiting for the CDC and FDA, they're sponsors of the vaccine research program, the big public program. We've been waiting for a weekly or monthly report on how the vaccines are doing, uh, which vaccines are better, which ones are, you know, failing, uh, which ones have safety problems, who is dying after the vaccine, who's have complications. And it's been eight months and there hasn't been a press briefing. There hasn't been a single report. And so we're, we're literally trying to find out on our own what's going on with the vaccines. I mean, that's what people ask me every day is, doctor, listen, I'm going to be mandated to take the vaccine. Which one's the winner? I said, we've been at this for eight months. There must be a winner. There must be a loser. Um, but, but there's no word of it from the CDC and, and FDA. They just say, take a shot. The employers, interestingly, uh, they uh, just say, take a shot. And you think the employers, if they cared about COVID, they'd want their, their employees to take the winner. Right? Wouldn't you want to take the best vaccine at this point in time if you really care about COVID in the workplace? But they don't seem to care. They just what they really care about is taking a shot. So um, you know, you know, Americans are consumers. Uh, they want to choose. If they just say, you know, here, you know, do this, you'd say, if there's three cars, I want to drive the best car. Uh, if you, if it's a tool, you want to get the best tool. If it's the, you know, if every, if if the price is the same, you want the best. And America's deserves the best, but in order to deserve the best, they need an analysis on how the vaccines are doing at this point in time. So I, I can't read it. Um, uh, you know, and the Mayo Clinic would say, Moderna's doing the best, at least for efficacy. But I'd like to see some confirmation of that. What we saw in the FDA uh, letter, and we didn't see a briefing booklet. We didn't see an integrated safety report. Normally we see about 80 to 120 pages from, it would be from Pfizer to the FDA. And then the data would go to the FDA and the FDA would do their own briefing booklet. And you'd have those two to evaluate at the meeting. Normally you have an advisory board. You know, I've presented at these meetings, so I know exactly what I'm talking about. There was none of that. There's no briefing booklet from Pfizer, no briefing booklet from the FDA. These are publicly available materials. There was no hearing agenda, no committee meeting, no presentations. It literally was just a letter from the FDA to Pfizer, saying you know continue the EUA, and then that separate letter to Biontech that says you know study the myocarditis, do this, do that, and uh, and Tech doesn't even have a have a product or a website. So it is uh, like you said, from a regulatory perspective, it is distinctly unusual. And then somehow that storyline that got out in the press that it's fully approved, and then you know even our president said that. And it's like well. You're show show me the Pfizer approves approval letter it doesn't exist
0: it's 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 absolute madness and so with the myocarditis myocarditis and pericarditis especially in in young males and well I'm not as young anymore but I'm 31 and I'm not going to take it cuz I don't I don't want to drop dead that study as you said isn't due to I think latest 2027 earliest 2025 just how significant is this because as as I came into this thinking it was fully fda approved, I have to stay aware of my own biases you know i've talked to you I've talked to dr Robert Malone, and I've obviously developed a you know uh, uh, I like you guys and i have to I have to make sure that I can remove my own biases just how harmful are the cases of myocarditis? Is this something that I'm pearl-clutching? Is is it not a real thing to be worried about? Or is it something that's significant?
1: I think it's significant. I think what we've seen is the tip of the iceberg. And here's the reason why. Uh, in, in June, we got word of this, that initially the uh, CDC and FDA, again, they sponsor the research program. They're sponsoring the public program. They uh, announced to the world that, they have a signal of myocarditis. And at that time, the universe of cases was about 600 cases they knew about, but they had enough data on 200 to discuss. And of those 200, they had a series of meetings about a week apart. Um, As I recall, 200 cases, typically younger individuals, typically men, but not exclusively men, and uh, 90% were hospitalized. And let me tell you, Tommy, somebody your age, you gotta be pretty sick to be put in the hospital. I mean, it's not a light decision. 90% 90% were hospitalized, they had EKG changes, elevations in troponin, that's a blood test indicating heart injury. Uh, they were put on the cardiac monitor, about 25% had a reduction in heart pumping function. That's serious. I'm a cardiologist, I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about, that's serious. Uh, that means they almost certainly would have had to be put on medicines to prevent heart failure. Since that time, uh, we have had c- reports, one from South Texas and one, I think, believe from Minnesota, uh, of young people that progressed all the way to death with myocarditis, or to needing heart transplant, and death after heart transplant. To me, my read on this is serious. Uh, the now the VARS report says we have over four thousand cases. So we've gone from two from you know two hundred six hundred four thousand as of August thirteenth. That's a large number. We really haven't started vaccinating the kids yet, and. Uh, holy smokes this this looks great. how does it happen that messenger RNA vaccines are in lipid nanoparticles they get injected into the arm and lipid nanoparticles that's designed to go in the body you know prior to covid messenger RNA was being designed as a gene transfer therapy it was actually transferring genes into the human body. One of the conditions that these were trying to treat is called Fabry's disease. That's a disease I know something about. That's where there's involvement of the heart and the kidneys and other organs. So we are trying to use lipid nanoparticles to deliver genes in the, to the heart. So no surprise, Pfizer and Moderna almost certainly deliver liposomes to the heart where genetic material is installed into heart muscle cells They start to actually produce the spike protein, express it on the cell surface. The body attacks its own heart muscle. The heart muscle itself begins to be damaged. And a signature that there's heart damage going on is a rise in the blood troponin. And people recognize that anybody who's come in the hospital with chest pain or with a heart attack, the doctors measure troponin. So let me give you an example. A a troponin uh, at my lab, they changed the standards recently, would be less than 0.05. That'd be normal. Typical heart attack in my hospital, troponin would be one, two or three and then go down in four days. Well, cases of myocarditis, I've seen the troponin is like 50 and it stays up for months. And I'm starting to get scared. I mean, we're starting to see uh, signs and symptoms of heart failure. These are young kids who just wanna go to high school or wanna go to college. It's completely unnecessary. Uh, Many of them will recover from COVID. They don't even need the vaccine or, or if they get COVID, it's gonna be mild. This myocarditis to me seems serious. Now the words we've seen in some of the regulatory languages, oh, that it's mild or that it's transient. Well, we have guidelines in cardiology to say how to manage myocarditis. None of them say it's mild. None of them say it's transient. All of them say, be watchful, use drugs to prevent heart failure, what's called ACE inhibitors and beta blockers. The parents are scared out of their wits right now that they're angry. Uh, they're angry that the children were either forced to take the vaccine or they felt pressured into taking it and the kids of course they're absolutely confused are they going to become heart failure patients are they going to end up with cardiac death or heart transplant defibrillators i mean what a way to mess up the yo- life of a young person so i think that's the reason why the fda was so severe with uh BioNTech on this and said listen four studies they laid them out the, the studies already have names and study numbers so myocarditis With COVID-19 vaccines, a big deal. Um, I think it's a strong enough reason for most young people to never get close to these vaccines. Uh, We're hearing a lot of cases of kids who already have baseline cardiac problems. They have uh, a conduction abnormality or they have a congenital heart disease, a hole in the heart. Kids with Down syndrome uh, very commonly have congenital heart disease. Uh, There are kids that have already had myocarditis. I've had in my circle, I had a, a young gal, a terrific runner on the East Coast, ran, ran, runs for a big university. She had uh, some uh, myocarditis with the original COVID illness. Now, with a COVID illness, one can get a mild elevation of troponin, typically not EKG changes. So with the illness itself, it is actually very mild, but she had it. Uh, in fact, she had a workup at that time and the uh, university asked her, take the vaccine. She goes, my gosh, I've already had it once. I'm certainly not gonna take the shot interestingly she went to a cardiologist the cardiologist said take the vaccine the father was furious and so they went to me as a second opinion of course she should not take the vaccine and she didn't and uh you know we need now's the time for really superior uh mature even-handed clinical judgment this vaccine is not saving too many people at all and the last thing we want to do is force it on people and cause damage
0: As a 31-year-old in relatively good health who exercises every day, should I take the vaccine?
1: Well, let's kind of look at your scenario. This is good to walk through. Tommy, your chances of getting COVID-19 as you kind of live your life are probably less than 1%. That's what it is. It's always less than a 1% chance. So right off the bat, if you did nothing, you're kind of at 1%. One, let's say one percent to make it easy you're at a one percent chance now if you got COVID 19 in your case you'd probably get a case of some fever some nasal congestion i've got people your age right now with delta and i'm i'm not i'm not minimizing it so it can be severe but you'd have fever nasal congestion um body aches uh and, and you probably would have an illness that could last as short as four days but it may it may extend out to 10 or 12 days and then you would resolve and you would develop robust, complete and durable immunity. You'd never get it again. That would be COVID-19 for you. Now, uh, if for some reason you got a bad case of it, a uh, big dose of it, and you are really, you know, fever, coughing early, lots of nasal congestion, you could go on a multi-drug regimen. We would use drugs in combination. This is what I've published on. This is the innovation. Uh, you know, there's several drugs we'd probably put you on. Uh, let's say ivermectin plus um uh, doxycycline a little prednisone aspirin uh inhaled budesonide colchicine and we, we basically get you through the syndrome we could probably shorten it down to about four days and you'll pull out of it with about five days of treatment your chances of ever uh being hospitalized uh, dying developing myocarditis developing some horrific complication are way, 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 way less than one percent, and what you get out of that is deliverance to natural immunity. Now, if you took the vaccine, chances are nothing would happen. Uh, you would, uh, you know, get a sore arm for a few days. Uh, but there is a chance, and we can't calculate it, but there is a chance you could get set up for this myocarditis with Pfizer or Moderna. You could, uh, if you took Johnson and Johnson, which you could. You could uh, develop a a blood clot, for instance, uh, somewhere. Uh, You could um, uh, become paralyzed with Johnson & Johnson, uh, what's called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Though those are formal FDA warnings. And then more broadly, you could end up having some type of severe reaction that lands you in the hospital for a few days. There's been over 200,000 hospitalizations, urgent care visits, or um, office visits due to the COVID-19 vaccine. And as we said, there's been 13,000 deaths, including people your age. Uh, the chances of you dying with COVID itself are infinitesimal. But if you take the vaccine, you have 100% chance of getting the vaccine. It's in the arm, you can't take it out. And then the statistical risks go from there. So each person has to weigh it out in general. Most, most experts who've carefully thought about it would say for your age, uh, the risks of the vaccine
0: outweigh the benefits and as someone who had covid in august 2020 is that which i did is there and i got sick i was out for about 10 days it sucked and then it went away not making light of those who have much worse i understand that is there any reason for me to get this vaccine after i had covid about a about a year and a week ago i had it is there any reason for me to get the vaccine
1: well, I think it's I think it's interesting. You let me go on that long. In fact, you had COVID nineteen, and I called it right. So you were sick for about ten days. Uh, that fits. And um, as I've mentioned, now there's been over fifteen studies that show that your immunity is robust, complete, and durable. Even if you were rechallenged, if you had someone right in your face right now, Tommy, with red hot COVID, coughed in your face, you can't get it. Uh, and it's been shown. Uh, Shrethy and colleagues, Cleveland Clinic. They had, you know, I think 2,500 um, unvaccinated COVID recovered healthcare workers. They go out and face COVID in the workplace, zero COVID. Uh, 14 other studies support that. Even if your case wasn't that well documented, even if you didn't get a positive test, but you get some antibodies later on, you're not going to get COVID, way less than 1% chance. Uh, we know that because COVID swept through the nursing homes last year. You don't hear anything about nursing homes right now, they're done. They're done, the immunity is is complete. You haven't seen seniors get hospitalized over and over again. There's a few stray reports of someone testing positive here and there, but it's not two cases of COVID-19, it's just false positive cases. And Americans know that, it's one and done. I've already told you, in the United States, we've had thousands upon thousands of vaccine failures. We have natural immunity failures, so it's clear that natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity and it's really shocking that our surgeon general and our head of the national institutes for allergy and immunology have been on tv telling americans that the vaccine immunity is superior to natural immunity it's like an alternative uh, world it's just like when someone said pfizer's fda approved and it's not i mean these are these Uh, basically blatant false statements that are put out in the media. So when people in position of authority are putting out false information, you know, that's the definition of propaganda.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's why I talk to individuals like you or Dr. Malone, because I see what's going on and I'm like, am I going insane? I'm like, and it's, if it's me and my other friends that hold the same beliefs and they're all agreeing with me, well, that doesn't tell me anything. I'm like, are we just in a bubble of confirmation bias? So and someone like you or Dr. Malone say these things and it's I mean you feel like you're going insane you feel like you're going mad and it's so what you said is you can't, can't believe I let you go on that long no I, I wanted I wanted to hear what you would say about that and then the alternative of me already having COVID now to go back to the uh, to, to myocarditis or, or uh, cardiac problems with COVID right let's say I'm young I'm healthy I'm 31 whatever let's say I get it and I do have some bad heart problems with it with the vaccine, if it does damage your heart, we're not. Let's not even talk about you know instant death, you know, a pulmonary or a mm-hmm. uh, pulmonary embolism or or a uh, you know a blood clot, but just elevated troponin levels and uh, myocarditis, pericarditis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Would those then, if I got it, let's say let's say I can just break off into a parallel universe. There's me that got COVID. There's me that didn't get COVID if you could take a third one and it'd be me that got the vaccine and then let's say I did have an adverse effect, of, uh, 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 excuse me, an adverse reaction to the vaccine and it weakened my heart or my cardiovascular system and then I got COVID, could the COVID that I normally would have just been out for 10 days for, could that really mess me up because now my baseline heart health has been brought down by the vaccine? Can the vaccine make covid worse is that possible
1: you know it's an interesting observation but you're putting things together we have data from the u.s and the uk that's suggesting the vaccinated when they do get covid things are worse for them particularly in the hospital maybe that's exactly the case maybe already the body's been installed with the messenger rna or the adenoviral dna to make spike protein now the virus comes in and really revs up the system makes a lot of spike protein and ends up with a fatal syndrome. Maybe it is uh, a, a fatal uh, cardiac injury, or thromboembolism, or um, hypoxemia, uh, and a respiratory death. But um, I can tell you the final common pathway when patients die of COVID. And sadly, I just had one last week. So I, you, you know, I'm in this game, and I and I know it's serious. This is not this is not small things to talk about. But the final common pathway to death with COVID nineteen and I think largely with the vaccines, is thrombosis or blood clotting, micro blood clotting in the lungs. And when the oxygen saturation is low, so many people are trying to run and grab for remdesivir or grab for steroids. And i keep telling him listen that the, the italians have shown this with their autopsy data it's micro blood clots in the lungs when the x-ray shows covid pneumonia by uh x-ray or ct that's actually micro blood clots in the lungs blood thinners and we have analyses. we have no randomized trials but we have observational studies in the hospital large ones multi-center clearly showing aspirin full dose aspirin 325 milligrams a day and blood thinners, I think the uh, first line one is Lovenox subcutaneous, one milligram per kilogram every 12 hours. Alternative, we can use an oral blood thinner. One actually gives a free 30-day supply. It's called Eliquis or Apixaban. I've got two patients on that program right now, just because of ease of access. But blood thinners are needed. How long? Probably about 30 days. Uh, I had COVID myself. I've got some artery blockages. I tell you, I took aspirin like the Japanese do, I took 325 for 90 days. Japanese have reported some late fatal myocardial infarctions and fatal strokes. I didn't want one of those. All of those can happen after COVID-19. So, uh, you know, we have to be on the lookout for blood clots uh, after after the vaccine or after COVID-19. That's really uh, the injury syndrome that we're looking at. Could you,
0: because, exp- and so, in several of the lectures I listened to of yours before we first spoke, again, just like you telling me now that it's not FDA approved, something that you taught me in one of your, I believe it was your testimony, um, was about monoclonal antibodies in that I had never even heard that term. and. Even now, one of my favorite comedians, Tim Dillon, he's a big fat guy, he got got the vaccine and then he got COVID and he was joking about it. He goes, so I went and got, he goes, I got ivermectin and some monoclonal antibodies. He goes, felt better in 24 hours. Could you explain what monoclonal antibodies are? Why we haven't heard about them more in the news? And really, I mean, just for a layman like myself, could you explain what they are, what the benefit is to them? And again, why we haven't heard about them?
1: Well, let me take why we haven't heard about them, and everyone should know about this. We're operating under what's called the Trusted News Initiative. This was announced in December. The Trusted News Initiative is an agreement by the media companies, the major media and social media, uh, and, it, and it's, it's overt. If you click on the website, trust, type in Trusted News Initiative in your browser, you'll see, you read about it. Uh, I think the BBC made the announcement, but everyone agreed to do this, and that was The media was going to intentionally promote the vaccine, promote vaccines, and then squash anything that would would reduce uptake of the vaccine. So that means squashing any treatment, including monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, and it was gonna squash any information on vaccine safety. And that's the reason why we haven't seen a single press briefing on vaccine safety. That's called Trusted News Initiative. It is in the open, pre-announced medical censorship is what it is it's medical censorship only to promote the vaccine so you know here we are nine months later people say well why are they just promoting the vaccine i said well go back to what they said they were going to do that's exactly what it is it's 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 overt censorship now what about monoclonal antibodies well we knew about this in november lily broke the ice with Bamlivimab. Bamlivimab monoclonal antibody i've used it in my practice uh, it got the first emergency use authorization to treat COVID 19 ahead of the vaccines. Remember, the vaccines are to prevent COVID 19, separate indication from treatment. So the EUAs are not competitive to one another. Bamlimimab, we used it; it seemed to work good for the uh, original Wuhan wild type of virus. We had some other types came in, but it became pretty clear with the British variant, the Alpha variant, that bamlimimab as a single monoclonal was not covering the Alpha. So Bamalivine was taken out of circulation and we rely on Regeneron. Now, fortunately, former President Trump had front-lined Regeneron. Americans know this. He got taken to the Walter Reed. They gave him Regeneron there. Wonderful. They sequenced in the other drugs. He really received state-of-the-art care and Trump should have been a, a poster boy for how our seniors should have been treated in the pandemic. If everybody would have been treated as well as President Trump, we wouldn't have lost 600, 600,000 uh, Americans, mainly seniors. It's a tra- travesty to see that happen. You know, high-risk seniors today should receive Regeneron, which is a combination of two um, uh, monoclonal antibodies, um, uh, uh, Ceredsivimab and Indomav. Wonderful, uh, a pair that kind of. Uh, grab the virus at least the virus outside the cell takes about an hour to infuse an hour of observation afterwards every major hospital should stock them as well as major urgent care centers senior centers takes a doctor's phone call that's it pre-purchased we have 500 million doses of this sitting on the shelves high-risk seniors should demand them paper in the journal the infectious disease side of america shows if you get people on day one or two, the mortality stays lower. And as you wait, 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 the mortality goes up. So we don't wanna wait till you know 10 days into it to get a monoclonal antibody infusion. Younger people, high risk symptoms, demand a monoclonal antibody infusion. But because of the trusted news service, none of the local news stations, uh, none of the major media or social media are gonna allow any data or any... Pop- information for
0: regeneron you have to demand it absolute insanity and it it seems like there's this sort of mirror world right it's if you get covid you know they tell you to go home until your lips turn blue um, well before you get covid they tell you to get the vaccine and then if you do get it they say go home till your lips turn blue and then you come back and they give you oxygen and you can you know put your hand on the window as your family watches you die okay and then there's on the other hand there's curecetin, cur- vitamin d zinc uh turmeric and ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. There's exercise, there's and then if you do get it, there's right monoclonal antibodies and then if it goes into if I if I'm correct and if it goes worse to the uh to the microclotting you move to aspirin or other blood thinners. So there seems to be this sort of mirror world of of uh preemptive, uh immediate and then sort of late stage treatments one you can't talk about and then the other is held up on a pedestal and you spoke about in one of it might have it might have been your testimony it might have been on when you were on the was it Stu Peters you talked about uh what's it called you talked about the monoclonal antibodies and I'm trying to remember what exactly you said about it not being allowed to be in in advertisements or something because it wasn't uh there's not a company name on it. I I, I know I'm butchering. I can tell by the look on your face. I know I'm butchering it. The
1: the monoclonal antibodies are fully emergency use authorized to prove they just the pharmaceutical companies can't do advertising. So they're dependent on uh, the media to advertise. So you know how you see vaccine advertisements all the time. Um, uh, We should be seeing equal or more advertising by the public health agencies uh, for Regeneron, and I can tell you, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis's uh, core team down in Florida is going crazy right now. They got a lot of seniors getting Delta, and they are having a big public health campaign to um, uh, to get this information out to seniors and where they can access these antibodies. I had to scramble a senior today to try to get antibodies in Arkansas. And it was really it was a huge uh, effort. They clearly work. Uh, We should uh, front them now that they don't, you know, not alone. We need to do some follow-up drugs and what we do in combination after the antibodies, or if we can't get the antibodies, uh, we rely on hydroxychloroquine 250 supportive studies right now really works well pre-hospital. The only studies, the only randomized studies that are neutral are the ones uh, in the hospital, small ones underpowered, but maybe late on the ventilator, hydroxychloroquine is not a good idea. Doesn't cause harm, but may not work. But clearly outpatient hydroxy works, very valuable drug, 200 milligrams twice a day. Ivermectin, Ivermectin, antiparasitic drug, also works, 60 supportive studies, versatile, works in the hospital, out of the hospital, um, has unique mechanisms of action. Uh, we give Ivermectin, probably nowadays, most commonly a burst of three to five days in a row, is really what we need, very powerful drug. Uh, we combine it with doxycycline or azithromycin because we want to cover some other bacteria that are in the system uh, that can complicate things. We use inhaled budesonide supported by Pulmicort, uh, available inhaler at every pharmacy, supported by two randomized trials, highly successful. Oral prednisone, if there's severe respiratory symptoms, day five, uh, everybody knows about that's asthma. We use it for asthma. We use it for um, poison ivy, et cetera. Aspirin and everybody, 325, colchicine, an anti-inflammatory drug at least for 30 days, high-risk seniors, subcutaneous, low oral, apixaban. So it's four to six drugs in combinations. Doctors know how to do this. Uh, patients should call their doctor and say, listen, put me on the drug protocol. If the doctors say, well, there's no treatment for COVID-19 or I don't know how to do it, then demand a referral. When patients call me for something I can't handle, it's my duty as a doctor to refer them. I just don't, you know, gaslight patients and tell them, listen, uh, go home and die. So patients need to push their doctors now hard. Doctors are afraid, they haven't been doing this, patients are suffering, and we got so many Delta patients, we can't cover them all. We got about 500 doctors in the country listed that don't treat COVID-19. That's 500 doctors trying to treat the country right now. The whole country. We've got a million doctors sitting on the sidelines. They need to get their butts kicked into gear. And this is what this is about. It's called Sequence Multidrug Therapy for COVID-19, published in the American Journal of Medicine, August 2020, Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine, uh, December 2020, Home Treatment Guides, by the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons and now Truth for Health Organization. We've got Frontline Critical Care Consortium. They've got Math Plus and IMATH, slightly reduced protocols looking for easier cases. It works fine, ivermectin-based. And we have American frontline doctors. These hero organizations have really picked up the load where our, our federal agencies have just absolutely drawn a blank on treating sick patients. So is our big medical schools and our big medical centers. They don't have a single treatment protocol. If you are go to Harvard right now, zero. Harvard's got nothing to, to treat uh, or to help treat patients sick with COVID 19 out of the hospital, nearest Mayo Clinic, elsewhere. It's amazing. The academic medical centers drew a blank on treating COVID 19. Thank God for the heroes uh, to kick it in. Now, I want to mention about nutraceuticals. You mentioned that up front, that there is a base. And I don't want people to think that vitamins cure COVID-19, but this is how it works. If people are deficient in something, like zinc, it's common if people aren't diuretics to be uh, deficient on zinc or vitamin D, because we're inside all the time. A lot of us are deficient of vitamin D. African Americans, dark-skinned people, deficient on vitamin D. Vitamin C and quercetin. Those four really play a role. There's some others that you mentioned that may be assistive. So it's called a nutraceutical bundle. It's in the home treatment guides. Everybody should be on that. And one of the things we're going to update in the guide, and I want you to be aware of this, is called nasal and oral anti-infective therapy or treatments. Very important. You know, dentists have been in the mouths of people all year long and there's been no outbreaks in dental clinics. They've been massive exposure to COVID. They're right there. How does that happen? Well, they use anti-infective dentistry, and this has been shown in randomized trials, observational studies, preclinical studies. It really works. If you take the brown betadine that they use to sterilize skin before surgery, you can buy a bottle of it on Amazon for a dollar. It's brown liquid. It's called povidone iodine. If you just squirt just a few drops into a juice glass and fill it up with water, the whole thing will turn brown. If you swish it and spit that twice a day, it kills the virus in the mouth, just like it kills Epstein-Barr and cytomegalovirus. It's called, and and the American Dental Association has recommendations to do that. Take a Q-tip, the same brown solution, and go up the nose twice a day. Uh, That's been shown to cut down on the acquisition and transmission of COVID-19. Wonderful idea. Some people say they're allergic to iodine. They could use a dilute um, hydrogen peroxide, sodium hypochlorite, and even it's a little weaker, but you can still do it. Use yellow original Listerine, brush, swish and spit twice a day. And so this oral and nasal anti-infective therapy really does work. And I'm using it both in prophylaxis in people to prevent COVID-19 and then in active treatment.
0: You are wildly intelligent. I have to keep up just listening to you talk. So where have you, I know you have, but is there, so we're throwing around all these things is mm-hmm. there a place where people listening can go who, like me, are just trying to keep up with you? Is there? You, do you have a website? Do you have anywhere people can go over to go, you know, I'm at this age or I'm at, you know, I've already had it or I have it now and it's late stage or I don't haven't gotten it yet so they know what to do, what to take? Because I don't want to parrot this and, you know, give someone advice that I'm not qualified to give. I don't right. want to say, hey, you got to take 325 kilograms of aspirin and then I kill somebody. Is there somewhere they can go to kind of hear everything you're saying and is it in a chart or, or, you know, flow chart or whatever?
1: It is. And you know what, Tommy, um, uh, when we're done, I'm going to just email me and I'll send you some links. It'd be great if you can make a slide at the end and just let it hang up there with the uh, links to uh, get these treatment guides. But, but here again are the websites, aapsonline.org, truthforhealth.org, flcc.net, and alfds.org. These are the major organizations that they all have treatment guides. They all have algorithms. Uh, the algorithm uh, comes up that the ones that I've published, I was the first to get these in print. I just, it, it wasn't that I had the first idea. I, it's actually credited to, to Vladimir Zelenko in Montreal, New York. And then Didier Rialt, Matthew uh, um, Milan, and Dr. Lagier in France. So they were, they were the earlier innovators. they were ahead of me. Um, Dr. Pierre Corey, uh, Dr. J.J. Rosther, who was ahead of Corey and Merrick. You know, they were innovating with ivermectin um, early on, down in Florida and Wisconsin. So this innovation popped up and anywhere. What people need to know: there's no magic pill. You, if you had no hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, you still could treat it we using the back-end drugs, Dr. Brontios in South uh, America and Dr. Chetty in South Africa. They do it that way. They use, actually, antihistamines, corticosteroids, some aspirin, blood thinners. They treat the back-end. So you, you can, you know, if, if someone says, well, you know, hydroxychloroquine, it's, you know, I, I can't deal with this. And this happens in some countries. say, fine, don't. Just treat the back-end. And wonderful analysis by Paul Alexander uh, recently in Nursing Home Studies. reviewed all of them as as long as you do something you can markedly reduce mortality i mean when i mean do something combinations of hydroxy and prednisone or doxycycline and and aspirin heparin just just you know honestly four to six drugs or even two to four drugs better than nothing the only people get hospitalized with COVID 19 young people or seniors are people who get no treatment none none so they say, oh, there's a little kid admitted to with Delta variant. I guarantee they got zero treatment. Kids, if they get just some little nebulizers, little steroid, little aspirin, uh, uh, Z-Pak, azithromycin, we get the kids through it all the time. It's just the denial of outpatient treatment leads to hospitalization.
0: Now, with have you heard two two quick questions? That I know I got to let you go. Um, what do you think about? The push or I guess the recent trend in doctors saying, uh, you know, and again, with being online, things like the trusted news initiative and then things like bots, you never know what is the real consensus and what is just an artificial swarm, right? You know, a shadow puppet on a wall to make it look like Godzilla, but really it's just your hand. It's, It's hard to tell, especially when we're all stuck inside looking through screens to know really what is, you know, you're at a football stadium and everyone cheers, you're there. If you on a phone and you get a notification that says everyone's cheering, but you, but maybe everyone in the city is getting that notification. And everyone's, oh, everybody else is cheering. It seems to be this astroturfed movement or opinion of doctors saying uh, we refuse to treat or provide healthcare to people who are unvaccinated because this is a preventable thing. And they aren't uh, they shouldn't get access to this healthcare. Never once addressing the irony of of what about if you smoke or what if you eat mcdonald's or what if you're an alcoholic or what if you're you know what if you're smoking crack and you end up in the er all whom should right I mean you take the hippocratic oath you know the saints and the sinners, everyone gets treatment you have to you know you i am my brother's keeper what do you think about this whole they're not vaccinated refuse them
1: you know, the vaccines look like we reviewed efficacy at the at the top of the hour. They look like maybe they could work like a flu shot, maybe. So if if, if someone took, didn't take a flu shot, would I refuse to see them? Or how to hepatitis B? Or what if they didn't keep up on their tetanus booster? Um, that's malpractice for a doctor to uh, decline treatment to a patient who didn't take an investigational COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccines are still in research. They don't work fully. Uh, they have giant safety concerns. I'd call that malpractice. And, I'd, and, I'd, and honestly, I'd, I'd invite any doctor to just look me in the eye and tell me that that's a good practice. They won't. And these doctors are walking a line of shame and they know it.
0: It's like, um, it's like your testimony where you talked about all it takes is courage. You know these individuals who they're all waiting it's like what general mattis said about you know the troops have to know the mission because it can't all be top down because if you know no plan survives co- first contact with the enemy if something happens that wasn't in the playbook and all of a sudden you have this guy with his soldiers at a bridge and it's well we don't get orders from the president well if the order is take the city something happens and now all of a sudden there's a bridge you have to go over Well, what's the end goal Well, we got to take the city, right? It's like if I told you, meet me in New York. I don't care how you get there. Just go there. You kind of spoke about you have all these doctors going, well, there's no protocol. we got to do this. Or the protocols don't treat. And you're saying, no, like, use your, you're a physician, right? I mean, use the head on your shoulder. You survived through med school and residency. Like, you know, give yourself some credit. Like... Stand up straight and like, what do you know? Right? It's a bonus question on the test that the professor didn't say was going to be there. Well, this wasn't in the textbook. Okay. Well, did you learn organic chemistry? You know what this does? All right. Well, let's use our best effort and give it the old college try. You talked about that. How a lot of physicians just need to just have the. Cur- You're already a physician. You're intelligent. You have to have the courage, right? You just gotta. You gotta give it to it. You're in this. Like you said, it's the Super Bowl of healthcare. You're here and it's time to innovate what would you say to physicians who really need to hear that
1: you know i uh, you know my colleagues I, I in my in my circles of course i have a lot of like like-minded people in my circles i think it started out the lack of fear i think doctors were afraid to get it themselves they were afraid to contaminate their clinics and the whole thing just bred on fear it was just constant fear 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 and now the vaccines and now the vaccines are failing and that they know it so they're fearful and now they're saying well take the vaccine. Uh, uh, There was a a video that was uh, um, circulating today and it was uh, Trudeau in Canada. And he was so agitated. You used to see this video. He goes, I'm not going to let people who haven't taken the vaccine get on the plane and I'm not going to let them contaminate people who are vaccinated. And, you know, of course you're thinking, well, Jesus, if the vaccines do anything, why are you so worried about unvaccinated people getting on the plane? You can tell that. You can see his agitation. It was raw unbridled, unchecked fear. He's afraid of this virus. People like him are afraid of this virus. And I can tell you, before I had COVID-19, and probably the same thing with you, Tommy, you probably weren't that fearful. When I got it, it wasn't that fearful. I got through it. Um, I just, before this interview, I just made a quick run over. I made a house call and I saw my pastor at my church. He had COVID-19. I saw him in day three when he was red hot with COVID-19. I just saw him now. I'm fine, listen, I, I get exposure to COVID-19. I have complete, robust, durable immunity. I'm not afraid. His wife was there, his kids were all over the place. They're not afraid. We don't have to be afraid about COVID-19. We can get through it. We need a message of confidence. We need to break the fear. Fear drives so much behavior in people. One of the things that's been difficult is that we meet on Webex. It's wonderful because you and I, we live in two different places, we're meeting on Webex, but we gotta start meeting together. We gotta start getting in the same room together. Uh, we're just having fear. I went to Grand Rounds at my medical center the other day and I went to this huge auditorium. There's like two people in it and everyone's on Webex. I was looking, people are still in their bunkers. Uh, you know, They've been vaccinated now for months and they're still in their bunkers. Uh, People are afraid, Um, you know, there's entire companies, they haven't come back into the office, they're still afraid. And I think until we come back and we start working in groups and we start to to break down these barriers, this grip of fear is driving people into the vaccines. The vaccines are failing, they're not safe. We're having more and more division. Uh, The mandates are gonna fail. Half of Americans are gonna lose their job in a month. You know, honestly, if if we have we have a constrained labor market, if we have any loss of employees, you know, pilots and nurses and others, uh, I mean, you just just watch the stock market here. I mean, we're just doing this to ourselves. If tomorrow the vaccine was just stopped, if people said, listen, we're pulling it, it would be a national holiday. The, The vaccine is hanging over us like a menace right now. And the sooner I think that we shut it down, the better.
0: You know, it'd be fascinating is if they did the biggest placebo test in world history and just made it all saline. <laughs> just really see. Who knows? Maybe we see the true power of the mind and COVID disappears. Um, got you, I'll get you for two more minutes. So I want a real quick question. Yeah. Um, what is COVID-22 or is that another episode for another time? I, I heard that term the other day. There's a new variant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, Tommy, Tommy, I don't know, and I don't want to (laughs) know. Okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Dr. Peter McCullough, God bless you, sir. Thank you so much for coming on here. Um, I'll put all those links and everything in the description, and don't go anywhere real quick. I'm going to stop recording.